All right, I'll invite you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me, please, to Psalm 23. This coming Thursday is Thanksgiving. It's been a strange year. It's been a difficult year. It's been what we might call a frustrating year. This week is Thanksgiving. I just mentioned in this prayer a desire in my heart unto the Lord that we would not be a fearful people or an angry people. Psalm 100 and Psalm 23 are perhaps the most well-known psalms in the Scripture. Looking back through my catalog of sermons, I noticed that in 2017, I preached a message in, uh, for Thanksgiving on Psalm 100. But I've never done Psalm 23. It's another good Thanksgiving psalm. And that's what I'm going to do this morning. You know, we all perceive life through the lenses of our experiences and our understandings. Some of these things are so common, these experiences, these understandings, the way that we perceive life, some of them are so common that God uses them on a regular basis to be a reference point on himself, to relate himself to us. When I think of this idea, I think particularly of the father and son relationship. It is a relationship within all of our lives that is common, that is known, uh, that there is a, a reference point with which to relate it to, even if not directly of ourselves, uh, at least as we look around us at society, um, the reference points are everywhere. And God does that specifically to help us connect the spiritual nature of the true and living God to the physical world in which we live to connect our, us to him in a more tangible way. And today we enter into one such metaphor, not the father and son metaphor. Today we enter into what, what's called the shepherd's psalm, right? Psalm 23, the shepherd's psalm. And as we would expect within it, David relates himself to God as the great shepherd. Not David, the great shepherd, God, the great shepherd. We know that David himself was a shepherd, and so we would expect that this point of relation of himself to God would be natural. Perhaps you've done this in your life, that whether you as a father, or you as a husband, or you as a, a wife, or you as a mother, or you as a child, uh, have read the Word of God, and then you've related yourself to God in said way, and that there has been a, a nature of relationship uh, to, to yourself and God that that is an extension of something you've experienced. Uh, I love doing this when I'm out fishing with one of my children. You know, Jesus walked through life and he called his disciples and he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So my children and I are casting and I say, what does it mean when, when Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men? How can we relate fishing to the nature of this relationship that we have with God and the relationship that we have with others. Fishers of men, what are the uniquenesses of fishing that we can apply to this? Well, the same lure doesn't always work. The same spot doesn't always work. Different tactics for different times of day, different tactics for different types of fish, different tactics depending on what you're going for, right? There are good days and there are bad days. Some days you're slamming them, other days are just dry. 
I will make you fishers of men. There's some lessons, right? There's some illustrations. There's some metaphors. So David is going to use the shepherd's metaphor today to connect us to a measure of, of our relationship with God. And as we step into this this week, I pray that it will be a, a unique opportunity for us to direct our hearts into a measure of thanksgiving unto God through a measure of unique comfort. I'm going to read the entire psalm. It's not long. And then we'll go through it verse by verse. The Bible says this in Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Verse 1 said, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. We find in this first verse one statement which is conditional and one statement which is unconditional. The unconditional statement can only be made in this context if the conditional statement has already been realized or is already true. So David begins with a simple statement. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is the one who has taken it upon himself to shepherd me, to care for me. And as one who is not a sheep, <laughs> it is a, uh, uh, but rather a man, I have a free will, I have volition. David says, the Lord is my shepherd, sh uh, showing that he has placed himself under the shepherding watch care of the Lord. And this is an important distinction between what would be a sheep and what would be a man, is that the sheep don't necessarily have a choice of shepherds, but God has given us one, hasn't he? God has given us a choice of shepherds. And this is the conditional statement, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, it's not a conditional statement in the text. In other words, there's no if here. There's no if the Lord is my shepherd or if the Lord were my shepherd. It's not a conditional statement in the text, but this is a very conditional idea. Not every man can say that the Lord is his shepherd. For not every man has placed himself under the lordship of Jesus Christ, under the shepherding care of Jesus Christ. There are any number of shepherds that vie for your attention, that vie for your lordship in this world. The shepherd of self, the shepherd of technology, the shepherd of government, the shepherd of religion. There are any number of voices that want you to follow them. They say, I can take care of you. I can give you comfort. I can give you ease. I can give you security. All of the things that we would think about when we think about the nature of a shepherd and the sheep. I will feed you. I will provide for you. I will be there for you. A number of ideas of institutions of spirits that are calling out for you, and each comes with a subset of promises by which they seek to compel your loyalty to them. I will give you happiness. I will release you from guilt. I will give you purpose and meaning. And the scriptures make it plain that the promises of these things that the world offers, these other shepherds, are at best temporal and limited in scope. 
bringing about some temporal ease, perhaps, some temporal happiness, some temporal purpose, some temporal uh, limited security, or some fleeting release from a measure of guilt. But they stand in such direct contrast to the promises of God, which are spiritual in essence and eternal and unlimited in scope. What the world can offer in a temporal and material way, God says, I can offer in a much greater way unto eternity. God's promises root themselves in the very core of our lives and our experiences to the end, of course, the end of which is, as Jesus says, eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But not everyone follows that shepherd because there are a lot of shepherds vying for our attention today. And let me just say one more thing on this idea. Everyone serves something or someone. It is built into the very nature of us to do so. Everyone follows some sort of truth claim. Ironically, even if that truth claim is, there is no such thing as truth. Someone says there's no such thing as truth, and you ask, can you say that dogmatically? Right? Because then you're making a truth claim. Let us not fool ourselves into thinking that we can be neutral on the subject of truth. Let us not fool ourselves into thinking that we can just not pick a side. To claim no loyalty to any truth is simply to claim loyalty to yourself. To claim no loyalty to any truth is to claim loyalty to your emotions, your biases as the grand arbiter of what is right, your, 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 your perception, your senses. And I've said this before in various other contexts. How foolish is it to be led by our feelings? How foolish is it to make our interpretation, our senses, our feelings, our perceptions, the arbiter of our thoughts, our actions, and our understanding? Quite literally, I can be having a terrible day, my wife can put a plate of cookies in front of me, and every emotion and perception of that day can change like that. Literally. I can go from having a bad day to a good day with a plate of cookies being put in front of me. Why would I trust something that fickle to be the arbiter of my life and its choices. But you will serve something. Make no mistake, it is your right in this life to make your own choices. If you want to be driven by your perception, by the things you see and they feel and you hear and you, and, and, and you touch, if you want to be driven by that, you have every God-given right to do so because God has given you free will. But as we step into this psalm, I said that this first statement is a conditional. Nothing else in this psalm applies to you if the Lord is not your shepherd, okay? If you're listening to other voices, if you're following other shepherds, if you are driven by other winds, then the wind of the Spirit of God, this psalm doesn't apply to you. If you want this psalm to apply to you, then you need to listen to the voice of the, of the true shepherd because that's the only way the rest of this works. Okay, so that's that conditional. 
So David makes this statement of a personal choice, a deliberate intent. The Lord is my shepherd. Everything we read from this point on is applicable only to those unto whom the Lord is your shepherd. If you have chosen to submit yourself to a different shepherd, as I said, you're following a different voice. The results are not yours to claim. And so David says, the Lord is my shepherd. And based upon this statement, this relationship, he then gives a statement of confidence, the unconditional. The unalterable result of submitting ourselves to the Lord as the one who we lead, as the voice who we follow. And the result is simply this. I shall not want. That word want there, it doesn't mean that I don't want him. <laughs> That's kind of how you think of this psalm. When you, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Therefore, right? I shall not want. I shall not lack to be lacking anything, to be deficient in that which is needful and necessary to me. That's what this word means. I shall not lack. I shall not be in want. I will not have a need that is not fulfilled by my shepherd. Now, we've already made a very, very definitive statement, and it's a tough one. Do you believe that? The Lord is my shepherd, therefore I will have everything I need. Whew. That's, that, that's a heavy statement. That's a heavy statement of confidence, isn't it? I shall have everything I need. In the first generation of mankind, God made them male and female. And God took this man and this woman, whom he named Adam and Eve. Adam named Eve, Eve. He named Adam, Adam. She, he named Eve. Adam named Eve, Eve. They were named Adam and Eve. And he put them in a garden. He did not give them everything in that garden, did he? As a matter of fact, he said that there's a tree in the midst of the garden. And it was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he said, of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you may not surely eat. For the day that you do, you shall surely die. He did not give them everything. He told them that there was something that they could not have. But you know what else we do know? That he withheld nothing from them that was in any wise what they needed or what was good for them. He did not give them everything, but he gave them everything they needed. He did not give them everything, but he gave them everything that was good and right for them. And this is the idea here. The idea of the Lord is my shepherd is not an idea that the Lord will give me everything that I want or that all of my wildest dreams will come true. Much to the contrary, the confidence is that when the Lord is my shepherd, I can know without fear or controversy that I will be given what is best for me, that I will be cared for, that all of my needs will be supplied. And it is not for me as the sheep to decide what these needs are, or the manner that this supply comes. It is rather for me to rest in the confidence of knowing that my great shepherd knows better than I do my needs, and it is my privilege to leave that part with him, to take care that I am positioning myself for that provision by listening to the voice of the shepherd. This is an interesting thing, in some senses, coming from David, isn't it? I mean, David was a soldier, a king, a leader of men, 
he had spent years running from Saul, he did okay. Kept himself alive, kept his men alive. He had led them through the time when they were in Hebron. He led, led Judah in that time, and then he had come to be king over the united tribes of Israel. He had fought many wars. He would won many battles. This is the guy who slew Goliath. And yet for all of that capability, David stops and he pauses and he reminds himself that even that man's man, that warrior, needed a shepherd. And that he was not going to be too proud to admit it. The statement of confidence then gives way to a poetic description of the implications of the Lord being David's shepherd and what it means that he will lack nothing. And he's going to represent this in two direct contexts. Two direct contexts of life, which I'm sure you can relate to, both of. Two direct contexts of life in which I will lack nothing or uh, uh, nothing of, of my necessity or well-being as long as I'm following the voice of the shepherd. We're going to see first what we call the good life and then the bad life. Days of good and days of evil or days of bad. Verses 2 and 3, David says, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. In the days of good, to be contrasted in a moment with the days of bad or of evil. God withholds no good thing. David speaks of green pastures and still waters. Prime real estate for sheep. Where there's water and where there's food, where there's a place to lie down and be comfortable. That's what sheep do. Place where the sheep can rest, can eat, can drink, in calm, away from danger. This is where the shepherd always wants his sheep, right? The shepherd always desires his sheep to be in the place of rest, in the place where they're fed and they're comfortable and they're well. It's not always what the shepherd can provide for the sheep. But it's what the shepherd would always want for his sheep. Now, we know from the scriptures that there are definitive, definitive material elements to this idea of God's provision. We consider Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 6, where he promises to his disciples that if they will seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all of those things that we would need specifically, what we shall eat, what we shall drink, wherewithal shall we be clothed, will be provided unto us as we seek first the kingdom of God. And, and just briefly, let's remind ourselves of those verses. They're powerful and important. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25, Jesus said this, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, or where, uh, nor yet for your body. What you shall put on, is not the life more than meat, and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit to his, unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you, that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? 
Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. So we see a promise of physical provision as we follow the voice of the shepherd, as we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. There is this measure of physical provision that says that you need not spend your time fretting and worrying about what you shall eat or what you shall eat, drink or wherewithal shall you be clothed. But verse 3 also reveals to us a spiritual element to this as well. And we also see this in Matthew chapter 6. And indeed, many ways, the spiritual and the physical are connected, are they not? For if I can have total confidence in the shepherd for my physical and material needs, then I can redirect my thoughts and efforts towards seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And just before moving off of this point, it's important to remind ourselves that the provision of the shepherd is what he deems best for us, not what we deem best for us. If the sheep were in charge of our own provision, if the sheep were in charge of their own provision, if a sheep were in charge of his own provision, uh, it would be a, a very fat and lazy sheep, right? And eventually it would probably just do what's worse for itself and either die of a predator or die of its own negligence. The shepherd's provision does not always consist of giving the sheep what he wants but it does always consist of giving the sheep what is best for him, what the shepherd knows the sheep needs and does not need. And again, when I can leave this to God, then I can walk in freedom to pursue those things which truly matter. And this is where we get to this, poor, this, this point of the restoration of the soul. The shepherd's voice compels me to walk a path, and this path is called here the paths of of righteousness, and this both in his name and for his name's sake. And as I walk these paths of righteousness, as I do things God's way, as I follow the voice of the shepherd, I can live in a place of rest and of wellness, a place of thanksgiving and a place of peace, a place of true contentment. The idea is this, Lord, what do you want me to do today? Where do you want me to go today? What would you have of me today? How can I serve you today? How should I use my time today? How should I spend my resources today? Lord, what would you have me to say to? How would you have me interact with? And then you follow the voice of the shepherd. You open the word of God and you read what the shepherd has given to us and you follow the voice of the shepherd. And you say, but God, if I do this certain thing, I'm going to be embarrassed. If I do this certain thing, I'm going to have to lose something. I'm going to have to give something up. I'm going to have to yield something. And the question is, Whose voice are you going to follow? Are you following the voice of the shepherd? Because he leads us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake, and this is where we find the restoration of our soul. As he, as, as, through the still waters, through the quiet pastures that are the end of the path of righteousness. I can live in a place of rest and of wellness. I can do these things. 
And take note, this doesn't always mean that I'm wealthy in the things of this world, right? The paths of righteousness do not always lead a man to money or to possessions or to honor or to fame or to strength. As a matter of fact, the paths of righteousness for many in history have led them to infamy, shame, lack in the sense of material goods, but never lack in the sense of what is necessary. It doesn't mean either that you won't have any troubles, for as we'll see in a moment, David is going to reference sheep walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Sounds pretty troubling. But it does mean that you will be wealthy beyond measure in the things that truly matter. The wealth of eternity, the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So that David could write confidently in Psalm 37, verse 16, a little that the righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. That's what the shepherd says. That the little that a righteous man has can be far greater as a measure of true wealth than the riches of many, many wicked men. Far better that I would have a little in this earth and walk the paths of righteousness than that the things of this earth would, would be so great within my reach that they would anchor me to a different shepherd. Because I'd far, it'd be far more devastating to me to lose the things of this earth than to stop hearing the voice of the true shepherd. Jesus said it this way in Luke 12, verses 32 to 34. Fear not, little flock. Talking to them again as, as sheep. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that ye have and give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It is our privilege, Christian, as you walk through this life to follow the voice of the Good Shepherd, to provide through walking the paths of righteousness treasure in heaven that faileth not and bags which will not wax old where no thief can approach, where moth cannot corrupt. But you know as well as I do that there are times in this life where there are crossroads, where you have to decide. In this country, we have been fortunate, perhaps we call it fortunate, in that there have been a number of, there, there have not been a, a, a vast number of times in a vast number of contexts where Christians have had to choose between the material and the spiritual in, in the broader sense. In each individual life, we, we, have to we have to make those decisions. Everyone does. But when those decisions do come about in your life, and when the voice of some other shepherd makes you promises, because of the things that are in this world, opportunities, values, wealth, honor, fame, success, and they fundamentally contradict with the voice of the shepherd, do you stay on the paths of righteousness? Or do you yield the path of righteousness which leads to those still waters and those green pastures unto which your soul is restored for the sake of some material bounty? some temporal advantage. 
Are you laying up treasure where moth and rust cannot corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal? Or are you laying up treasure where moth and rust does corrupt? Things which can be stolen. See, because Jesus says where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Where your heart is, that tells you which shepherd you're listening to. The voice of the shepherd leads me into these paths for his name's sake. And this is a gift from God, an incorruptible gift and one which cannot fade away. Far from just feeding the body, far from just the feeble contentment of a body which is well today only to have its frailties exposed tomorrow, you're going to get old if you're not there already. Your body will fail if it hasn't already. Your things will be gone if they're not gone already. You can't take them with you. Far from the fleeting nature of financial comfort or physical wellness or situational peace. And all of those things are good. They're fine in their place. But the paths of righteousness upon which the shepherd takes me restores my soul. It's a place of peace. It's a place of rest. And this not only provides for me in times of good, but here's the thing. It also provides for me in the times of evil. David contemplates this in verses 4 and 5. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. So David calls these troubles the valley of the shadow of death, what has now become a very well-known phrase. The shepherd knows that evil cannot always be avoided in this life. This is a life full of evil, isn't it? When man partook of the fruit of the knowledge of the tree, uh, the, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, there we go. Romans 5.12 says that sin entered into the world and death by sin. So death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Sin brought death, spiritual and physical. Sin ushered the curse into this world, pain, suffering, and loss. When bad things happen to good people, let us never forget that it is not God's design that brought that upon man. It is man's doing. We brought sin into this world. When the innocent suffer and the wicked prosper, let us never forget that this is not God's design for that to happen, but this is man's contribution. Man brought these things into the world. And by that same token, let us never forget why it is that God has suffered it to be so. Because if God were to absolutely destroy sin, which he will do one day, he would have to destroy sinners. And to destroy sinners means to send them to this place called the lake of fire. And so the grief and the sorrow and the injustice that weighs upon the heart, uh, that, that weighs upon this world, is a price that God, though grieving, is willing to pay if only those who live upon this earth might come to a place of salvation, might be redeemed from sin and death. And so he suffers it to be so that man might be saved. And then there is coming a day when God will make all things new, where he will wipe away every tear and he will remove every vestige of injustice. But for this day, we will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But that doesn't mean we need to fear as long as we're following the voice of the shepherd. It's a fearful thing to walk into the valley of the shadow of death when you haven't been following the voice of the shepherd. It's a fearful thing 
to walk through the valley of the shadow of death when you don't know that you have been led there by someone who has your best interests in mind. It's a fearful thing to be in a place where you're trusting in something temporal, something material, and you end up in the valley of the shadow of death. It's a fearful thing, Christian, if all you have is government when you enter the valley of the shadow of death. It's a fearful thing if all you have is money when you enter the valley of the shadow of death. It's a fearful thing if all you have are temporal relationships when you enter the valley of the shadow of death. But if you enter the valley of the shadow of death as you've been following the voice of the shepherd, you need not fear evil because he is with you. And I know that I am walking through the valley of the shadow of death under the guiding hand of the good shepherd. And I know that there's a reason why I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death because he wouldn't have let me go there if there wasn't a reason. And as I do so, I'm comforted. And this in two ways. David says, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The shepherd's rod was used to fend off adversaries. It was a element of, it was, it was, it was the, the, the weapon, it was the protection to keep predators, enemies, those who would seek to destroy the sheep at bay, to fend them off, to fight them off. I can walk through the valley of the shadow of death as long as I see that rod in the hand of the shepherd who is leading me as I follow his voice because I know that that rod will protect me as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So I will fear no evil. The second implement was the staff. That's the one that we often think of when we think of a shepherd. It's the one with the crook at the end. Why the staff? Well, the crook at the end was to get the sheep going in the right direction, right? Sheep starts to wander off. That crook goes around the sheep's neck, and it kind of pulls that sheep right back where it needs to go. The staff, this was intended not for defense, but for guidance. The crook was used to call those sheep back. And as I walk through the valley of the shadow of, of death, I, I do so deliberately listening to the voice of the shepherd, following his way, but there are times where I'm tempted to stray. There are times where I'm going to wander off. There are times where I get selfish. And you know what's very comforting about those things? Is that if I am truly following the voice of the shepherd, and it may not always be fun, but he's going to call me back. It may not always be easy, but he's going to call me back. And this is comforting to me. That if I can, my wife and I don't always get along. Did you know that? But you know what is comforting to me? One of the things that I needed in a wife, one of the, the, the things that I sought for in a wife, and this was the phrase, is that she loved God more than she could ever love me. See, because here's the thing. I'm not always lovable, but God is. And if she loves God more than she loves me, then even when I'm not lovable, she's going to love me because God tells her to. And even when we're not getting along, we're going to find our way back into reconciliation because God is working on her and God is working on me. And there's no other path if we're following the voice of the shepherd than to be right with one another. There's no other path. There's no other way. There is no other way. We cannot be in, a, in, in not, not, we cannot be wrong, not right. I don't know how to, we can't be at odds with one another and both be following the voice of the shepherd for too long because the voice of the shepherd is going to lead us back into reconciliation. 
I can't be wrong with a brother and sister in Christ for too long if both, both of us are following the voice of the shepherd because the voice of the shepherd is going to lead us. If we're following the same voice, we're going to end up in the same place. Right? And so there's comfort because God is going to take his crook and he's going to yank me back into line. And I'm not going to like it because no suffering for the moment seemeth to be joyous but grieveth. Nevertheless, afterward it worketh the peaceable fruit of righteousness to them which are exercised thereby. So it's not going to be fun in the moment because I'm straying and God has to yank me back. But there's comfort to me in that. That God will yank me back. He'll keep me right. He'll keep me straight as I'm following the voice of the shepherd. And in this we regard the wisdom of Solomon. My son, despise not thou, despise not, excuse me, the chastening hand of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as the father, the son in whom he delighteth. When my children are disciplined by me, it is an expression of my love for them, not of my disdain for them. I love my children too much to let them continue without discipline. I love my children too much to let them go their own way. That will not go well for them. So I must discipline them as an expression of my love. Not just discipline, but train them. It will not go well for my children if I do not teach them what they need to function as adults. I've said it this way before, and, and, and it's just a, a perspective way of saying it, but I'd say I'm not raising children, I'm raising adults. Now, yes, they're children. But the idea behind that is raising them on purpose, helping them become what they need to be, not just letting them flounder through life, figuring it out on their own. They can do that. We can reinvent the wheel with every generation, but we don't have to. And God does this too. And it's not fun. And it's not easy. My children don't like it that I make them wash the dishes and sweep the floors. That I make them do various chores. That I make them be responsible for their own actions. It's not fun for them that they get disciplined when they disobey and that they get disciplined when, when they fall off the path. It's not fun for them, but it's best for them. And in it, they have a measure of security that says, my father wants what's best for me. And if all goes well, one day they'll look back on it and they'll see nothing but love. And so this rod and this staff, they comfort us. By these I can walk through the troubled days without fearing the evil that is around me. For regardless of the troubles that are without, if I am following the voice of the shepherd, what have I to fear? Psalm 118.6, right? The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? Now, in verse 5, the metaphor of the sheep and the shepherd gives way to a different metaphor, that of a banquet. This is not the shepherd preparing a banquet for his sheep. Okay, we, we've, we've shifted illustrations here. The shepherd becomes the host and the sheep become the guest. The valley of the shadow of death becomes a much more present enemy standing before David. But the results are the same. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. The enemy looks on, and regardless of all of his attempts to frustrate, to anger, and destroy, 
The table is prepared for the servant of the Lord. The head of the servant of the Lord is anointed with oil. The cup of the servant of the Lord overflows with bounty and gladness, and the enemy can do nothing but look on. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You might imagine this to be something like Joseph. His brothers sell him into slavery. Joseph keeps a right heart, ends up his second in command in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife accuses him of rape. He gets thrown in prison. He ends up effectively running the prison. And his enemies say, what must we do to destroy this man's life? You can't. You can't destroy the life of one who's following the voice of the shepherd. You can take his life. You can put him in prison. You can take everything that he has. But it's not going to change his relationship to the shepherd. It's not, he, you, the enemy can't tear away your peace, can't tear away your joy, cannot instill in you fear unless you let him. If the Lord is your shepherd, if you're following the voice of the shepherd, he'll give you everything that you need. You shall not want. You won't lack. The results are always the same. The enemy will try in every way, shape, and form to destroy the sheep, but they can't because the good shepherd is there. The enemies of righteousness set themselves up hard against the followers of the true and living God. In the midst of anger and evil and frustration of the enemy, David was cared for, protected, and in this case, blessed beyond measure. The enemy sought to destroy, and in the midst, the soul of the righteous was still restored. The enemy plots and waits. The soul of the righteous walks through the valley of the shadow of death without fearing evil. And as the enemy engages his plans and seeks in them to see the righteous stumble and fall, they see only that the Lord has laid a banquet before the righteous. He has anointed their heads with oil and he has caused their cup to be running over. The evil man may have sought to take everything in the earth from the righteous man. But the true riches of that man lie in a place that the enemy simply can't touch. As the righteous live knowing that the goodness of the Lord overshadows all of his ways. And this is the conclusion which David draws in verse 6. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David continues with this house picture. And it bookends beautifully with a reinvigoration of his confidence from verse 1. He said in verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now he proclaims in confidence in verse 6, Surely, most assuredly, most certainly, without any air of fear or of wavering in my confidence, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. This was probably written before he had to flee Absalom in the days where his son tried to overthrow the kingdom. And yet, as David followed the voice of the shepherd, none of that loss affected what he's saying here. Absalom could not touch his soul, only his body, only his possessions. And all this sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Not just in eternity, but these days too. 
The idea that goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And at the end of goodness and mercy, I step from this life into the next and I dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I can handle that. This is not just how you and I can live. But this is how you and I are ordained to live, Christian. This is your birthright as a child of God. You have been made a part of the flock. The sheep hear my voice, Jesus said. And they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life. This is the life of the sheep who know the shepherd and who listen to his voice. And this brings us to two simple questions on the Sunday morning before Thanksgiving. First, do you know the voice of the shepherd? Jesus said in John 10, 27, as I just said, my sheep hear my voice and they know me, excuse me, and I know them and they follow me. And when I ask the question, do you know the shepherd's voice, the real question is, have you accepted Christ as your Savior? Have you come to that point in your life where you've recognized that you're a sinner, that your sin has separated you from the life of God, from the true and living God, that your sin has offended a holy God, and that you are thus separated from God, and that you cannot reconcile yourself to God. There's no amount of good works you can do to get yourself to God. There's no amount of, of going to church. There's no singular act such as baptism or, 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 or a praying or giving money that can earn your merit with God because you have already fallen short, but that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life that whoever will receive with gladness the truth that they cannot earn their way into heaven, that they are not good enough to get themselves into heaven, that they are not righteous in and of themselves, but that Jesus Christ died on the cross, he was buried, and he rose again from the dead, and when he did so, he did so in order that we might be forgiven of our sins and saved and brought back into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that if you will receive with gladness that truth for yourself and trust fully in the finished work of Jesus Christ to save you from your sins, you will pass from death unto life. You will be brought into the flock of the shepherd. Do you know the shepherd's voice? But then there's a second question, and this is for those of you who can answer yes. I know the shepherd's voice. You've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Are you listening to the shepherd's voice? The sheep hear the voice of the shepherd, but the sheep are also called to follow the shepherd. The confidence to walk through our days without fear is a confidence of knowing that the shepherd is leading me. This confidence does not exist in the life of the sheep simply because they're sheep. It exists in the life of the sheep that's following the voice of the shepherd. And maybe you've chosen to listen to another voice in these days. Or maybe you've chosen to go your own way. These are two slightly different ideas. One leads to the other. The voice of the shepherd calls, but you've decided that you know better or you want something different. Or maybe the voice of something else calls and you follow that voice rather than the voice of the shepherd. Look, we're in a weird time. 
there's a lot of information out there. There's a lot of reasons to be afraid. There's a lot of reasons to be angry. There's a lot of reasons to be frustrated. There's a lot of voices out there that are saying things. Doctors, politicians, financial experts, whatever. There's a lot of voices out there. There's the voices of culture. We talked a few weeks ago about the spirit of this age. And not all of those voices are invalid in some of the things that they're saying. But none of those voices should be your anchor. None of those voices should be the one that you're following. You're going to hear those voices as you pass by, and you may glean something from them. Do it. We live in this world. But if you start following those voices, you're going to end up fearful, angry, confused. That's not, those aren't the results of listening to the voice of the shepherd, Christian. Because the shepherd leads us beside the still water and leads us to the green pastures. The shepherd restores our souls. Even as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the shepherd is there. Therefore, we fear no evil. Because he is with us. His rod and his staff, they comfort us. The voice of the shepherd calls. What are you going to do with it? It's your right to do what you will with it. It's your right to ignore it. But just know that when you're stuck by the thorns and then the thistles, that the shepherd did not take you there. Just know when you fall off the ledge that the shepherd didn't lead you there. If you want the kind of confidence that David expresses here, where regardless of the context of your life, you can rest without fear, knowing the goodness and the mercy of the Lord will follow you all the days of your life, then listen, Christian, to the voice of the shepherd. Quit trying to do everything your way. Stop with your own plans. Stop with your own solutions. Follow the voice of the shepherd into the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That may mean things have to change. It may mean your confidences have to change. It may mean your relationships have to change. It may mean your priorities have to change. It may mean, may mean any number of things. But faith always precedes blessing. Faith comes before blessing. If you know that it's the path of righteousness that leads to the, the place of restoration of our souls. Christian, don't let anything stop you from walking that path of righteousness. And then you can say, as David said, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Then you can say, as David said, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. may mean some repentance. It may mean some humility before God and man. But no man who walks the path of righteousness following the voice of the shepherd has ever regretted it for a moment. Can you say the same of the other paths you've walked? I can't. Are the fleeting successes, the marginal pleasures, worthy to be compared with the peace and the joy of the sheep as they're following the voice of the shepherd? This coming Thursday is Thanksgiving. 
in this difficult, frustrating, and very strange year, if you have been following the voice of the shepherd, you're walking through what we might rightly call a valley of the shadow of death, but you're doing so fearing no evil because you've known that the rod and the staff of the Lord are there to protect and to comfort you. If you're following the voice of the shepherd, nothing has happened in the last 10 months that will have changed your confident and joyful declaration, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. We might not be able to say the same expectations or have the same confidences in the society that is around us. We may not have the same confidences that material comfort will, will merge with, with spiritual restoration and spiritual joy in the days that are to follow because the, 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 they, they look to be diverging somewhat quickly. But none of that, none of that should touch you, the true you, the sheep you, the, 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 the you that knows the voice of the shepherd. And in so many ways, this thanksgiving poses a unique opportunity for its namesake to be most greatly magnified. For the darker the valley into which we walk, the more obvious the protecting hand of the shepherd is. The darker the valley in which we're walking, the more obvious it is that the shepherd is the one that is bringing about in my life peace, joy, and the restoration of my soul. And so whereas in any number of years in the past, we might be able to thank God and, and, and live in a, in, a, in, a, in a thanksgiving context that um, would perhaps magnify physical circumstances in our lives. God, thank you for this food. God, thank you for this house. God, thank you for these things. And all of those are still there. Perhaps this year, in the midst of a time that has been very troubling, we'll have an opportunity to see how God can spiritually sustain and to magnify the spiritual joy and sustenance of God among his people in the midst of a time that has been very trying. And I would encourage you unto that this Thanksgiving. May this week of Thanksgiving reinvigorate in our hearts our determination to follow the voice of the shepherd into paths of righteousness because in that place we need fear no evil. In that place, the Lord does prepare that banquet before us in the presence of our enemies. In that place, there is joy. In that place, there is rest. In that place, there is contentment. In that place, there is peace. And it's in a place that the world can't take away. It's a restoration of our souls. May it be so on this Thanksgiving. Let's pray together. Father, I ask for God's people that you would help us to live on that higher plane above the circumstances of the world around us. It, nothing in this message was intended to minimize the fact that evil is having a day. Nothing is intended to minimize the dangers that might, may lie before us in the physical. But Father, thank you that, yea, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we need fear no evil. For thou art with us. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort us. And that is my prayer for God's people today. That they would be comforted. 
And I pray that the Spirit of God would bring consolation into the hearts of God's people in a way I know I certainly cannot. My, my feeble words have no means by which to bring any consolation. And that's fine. Because you have every capacity to do so. You don't need my help. Pray that your spirit would bring consolation to the hearts of God's people. That we would be a people of peace, of joy. Not a fearful people. Not an angry people. And may this week of thanksgiving be a week truly of thanksgiving. Thank you for listening to Pastor Jamin Wickler from Legacy Baptist Church in Buffalo, Minnesota. More information about Legacy Baptist Church and a library of sermons are available at www.legacybaptistchurch.net.